0: Latter-day Contemplation is a podcast hosted by two Latter-day Saints who have found great value in experiencing God through walking a path of contemplation. The views expressed herein are our own.
1: Hello and welcome to Latter-day Contemplation. We are your hosts, Riley Risto
0: and Christopher Hurtado.
1: Latter-day Contemplation started as an exploration of contemplative practices from many traditions to enhance our discipleship of Jesus Christ. We are by no means experts in the topics we discuss, But what we have is an openness to questions, a hunger to discover truth wherever we can find it, and a desire to share in the transformative life of inner peace. We love that you've joined us, and we hope that you find value in this community.
0: Well, Riley, one of the questions I get a lot, it's probably the most asked question when I tell people I'm recording this podcast with you on contemplation is, what is contemplation? So let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a huge subject. And as you and I discussed doing this episode and how we were going to go about it, one of the thoughts I had was it's such a big subject that it includes so many topics. And I just want to try to give people something concrete to begin to establish a contemplative practice for themselves.
0: So why don't we start off with? A dictionary definition. That's actually helpful. Sounds like a church talk. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's actually helpful in this case.
1: I do too. Let's do it.
0: So, contemplation means the action of looking thoughtfully at something for a long time. Now, for a long time can mean I'm focused on this one little aspect of my life or of what I'm feeling in my body for 20 minutes, or it can mean I'm doing this for four years.
1: Right. It's all relative, right? Right. It depends on the approach and what it is you're contemplating and what you're trying to get out of it. There's a lot of factors that play in, so it's all relative, but essentially it's doing something maybe a little longer than you normally would.
0: Right. Another part of the definition, deep reflective thought.
1: I think that's really the core of it, being thoughtful.
0: Being thoughtful, being intentional, being present. Another part of the definition, religious meditation.
1: Yeah, and I think we're going to maybe dive into that a little bit as we go through the the various uh, modalities of contemplation. That will be one that we'll discuss a little bit. And that's the, maybe the reason why that was a definition of contemplation, a standard definition, is because in some religious traditions, contemplation p- plays a much bigger role than maybe it does in our own.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, the, the last part of the of the definition I'm reading says, in Christian spirituality a form of prayer or meditation in which a person seeks to pass beyond mental images and concepts to a direct experience of the divine.
1: I love that. I love that. And I think that's really, as you and I have discussed uh, over the last couple weeks about what what are our grand goals with this whole Latter-day Contemplation thing is, for me and, and the way I understand our conversations, it's been really melding together kind of the the intellectual part of religion with the experiential part of religion, and and really making our religious practice an experience, an experience with the divine, with God, sitting with God in various ways.
0: Yeah, there's a sense, though, in which this last part of the definition limits contemplation in the Christian, at least in the Christian aspect of it, to a form of prayer meditation. But what we want to do with this episode is go into a whole list that we've put together of not an exhaustive list, but of a number of contemplative practices in which we've either, in which we've either participated or which we've, we've observed. And we each have our own experiences of those that we'd like to share.
1: Yeah, as we were going through this list, I was surprised how many you brought up that either I hadn't considered in the past as being contemplative or I just hadn't experienced or practiced them in that way. And I think it was probably the same for you. This is why this is such an important episode to do, because not only can it expand and augment our personal contemplative practice, but it just opens our mind to what's possible.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, nothing to do with cold water sounds contemplative, or at least it doesn't sound like something (laughs) contemplative I'd like to do myself. To each his own.
1: We'll get into that.
0: Yeah. So let's just go through some of the some of the things that we wrote down together as we brainstorm thinking about and ma- our And maybe own
1: before practices. you start Christopher, I just want to say we divided these somewhat up into categories. These categories will overlap somewhat. There in my mind anyway, there was a couple big categories, observational and participatory. And then with, with underneath that there's all these kind of subcategories, but that's not necessarily how Christopher would organize it. And so that's why I just want to highlight that however you categorize this in your head or organize your thoughts around this, make it your own. We're just we're we're going to put stuff out there for people.
0: Yeah, because I would say each and every one of the categories that that we wrote down could be thought of either on the level of participation or only of observation. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's there's, spectral. Right, there's certain things that I don't know how to do that I can I can't experience at the level of actually doing them, but I can experience them at the level of, uh, you know, without participating at the level of observation. So let's go through some of these. The first category that we came up with is meditative. And this is what most people might, uh, this is what many people at least might think of when they think of contemplation, meditation. Yeah, I
1: think this is kind of the top of the list for most people. Yeah, and
0: we don't even, and, and when I say meditation, I call this category meditative we only have meditation as one aspect of that, uh, of that category. There are other things. In fact, one of the things that I learned when I learned meditation was to distinguish between mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting, which, which many conflate. Right? These things are often conflated as, and thought of as one and the same thing. For me, mindfulness means noticing. It's a, it's a presence, an awareness of what's going on, and that's with all the senses. And part of my meditative practice is that I begin by sort of feeling myself and seeing myself and hearing myself where I am, and opening up all my senses and going through and checking checking them one by one before I go into what I would consider my meditation, and that's mindfulness. And there are others, There are other ways to think about mindfulness. How do you think about mindfulness, Riley?
1: Yeah, for me, it's sensory. When I think about mindfulness, it's observing not necessarily with my eyes, although that's one way, but just observing from a sensory perspective, all the different ways in which my, my physical presence is interacting with my surroundings. I think I told you about an experience yesterday that I had with my daughter where I, you know, she was kind of zoned in on a book and had been reading for a long time. And I thought, well, let's, let's get her outside and kind of, Reset the physical body a little bit because her her mind has been engaged for hours on end, but uh, I kind of wanted to have her reset a little bit, so I took her outside and this it was fairly late at night, and we just went through a checklist of the the senses the five senses, and of course people will say, well there's six senses or seven whatever that's fine I'm just saying we went through you know sight hearing, touch taste, and seeing or sight I already said that one anyway, the five senses we went through all of them and One by one, I just had her try to observe using that specific sense, what was going on around her, her surrounding environment, Um, from smelling essentially dead plants, because we're in the middle of winter in Utah, but uh, just trying to really key in on each one of those senses. So smelling things, seeing things, listening to things. And there's like the front level, most noticeable sounds, and then there's those ones that are buried in in the background. So differentiating between foreground and background noise and and such and it was a nice experiment for her to just be mindful of her environment so that's what I think of when I think of mindfulness
0: yeah when you say foreground and background part of what I do is notice the loudest sound and the faintest sound the brightest light and the and the dimmest light and, and and so on through the senses I noticed too that you did that while walking and that'll come up later and again these These practices can overlap. So the next part of my meditation involves sitting still and focusing on my breath, which you could do. You could sit still, and that would be a form of contemplation, just the sitting, just focusing on your breath. But what I do in my meditation is I sit still, I focus on my breath, and I repeat a mantra. And the mantra that I repeat is generic, I got it from the book I learned from, which was Emily Fletcher's book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, and that's one. And I like it because it helps me, well not think, because I'm looking for a place outside of discursive thought in my meditation to just be, to just sit and just be present to oneness, the oneness of all existence. Of my existence and the existence of all the things I might think of as around me and separate from me that sometimes in glimpses and meditation become one with me that that separation goes away
1: So would you consider this a form of like cosmic or creative thought by repeating the mantra do you bring yourself into physically? the interaction between the spiritual and physical? I don't know if I'm stating that right or if it makes any sense to you, but by saying one, does it have some effect on you that causes you to experience unity?
0: I believe, I already believe in the unity of all existence and experience. And so what it helps me do is to be aware of that because that's not, even though that's my belief, that's, not, that's intellectual. We talked about the difference between the intellectual and the experiential my experience is one of separateness, right? Once, you know, once I've partaken of the fruit and I've left paradise, my experience of everything is a separate. And so meditation is a contemplative practice that allows me to experience 20 minutes a day. Well, I would, I can't say 20 minutes a day in those glimpses within those 20 minutes a day momentarily to experience being back in paradise, right? Being back in a place where where there, there is no duality, where there's a unity. And it's an incredible experience. That.
1: Yeah, and I want to highlight something that you brought up because you talked about sitting in stillness and focusing on your breathing. And you highlighted in that uh, phrase two aspects of the meditative contemplative uh, practice, which is sitting still and also breath work. And they can be separate. They can also be brought together. And what you'll discover is when we go through this list that many of these put in combination with each other can augment and enhance the experience. So sitting in stillness while repeating a mantra, while focusing on breath, while expressing some intentionality, or I mean, these things put together can actually enhance the whole experience, right? The
0: mantra becomes part of it too. Yeah. But, but if meditation is something that doesn't appeal to you or intimidates you in any way or whatever. There's just sitting still. You were telling me something about sitting still.
1: So, yeah, what, what that was all about was even though there was a lot going on around me, whether the kids are, you know, wrestling about or they're playing a game or talking with each other, for me to basically try to sit in my space in stillness without necessarily participating in what they're doing and more just kind of in my own little world separate but also part of what they're doing so that they can see me doing what I'm doing and then at some point if they come up and ask me dad what what are you doing <laughs> you're just kind of sitting here well that's exactly right you know son or i'm i'm sitting here i'm just sitting in stillness and enjoying the feeling of not Needing to do anything, needing to participate, needing to think—I'm just sitting in stillness, and it's really peaceful. And I think that that can grow into a comfort level for them. That hey, it's okay for me to just not have to do anything all the time or be thinking about something all the time. I can just sit here and enjoy the peace of stillness.
0: Yeah, and that that starts by putting down your phone, right? Put down your phone. Oh, absolutely. And you maybe put aside your cares or concerns or you could reflect on them right maybe this is a way to instead of evading what may be psychically you know what may be background noise you can actually ask yourself what's going on with me
1: yeah that's an observational aspect of it for sure and by doing this stuff i don't i don't put up any walls if someone walks in on my stillness and says hey dad will you come help me with my homework it's like yeah sure I'm not trying to put up walls. All I'm doing is just living in that moment. And if that moment gives me a moment of silence, great. If it if it takes it away, that's fine too.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of something I didn't mention about my meditation practice and that is that it is something that I do for 20 minutes uninterrupted. And my family knows I meditate. So if somebody walks in and they see me in this posture of sitting with my eyes closed, and of course we're a family that prays too. So You're either praying or you're meditating, and people just walk out of the room and come back later. But what I've had to learn to do is to be okay with. Yeah, I used to think that there had to be quiet for me to meditate. I've had to learn to that, that's not true, that I don't, it doesn't have to be quiet, that I can notice again all the sounds and I can meditate. And that's been incredibly liberating.
1: Yeah, I think you almost, if you're going to reconcile. The purpose of why you're doing this with the actual practice and you live in any kind of environment where um, interruption is a possibility, you have to be okay with being interrupted and not have that be something you react emotionally against. I mean, otherwise that defeats the purpose. If you're sitting in meditation, peaceful meditation by yourself, you're focusing on your breath and you've got your mantra and you're doing your thing, and 10 minutes into a 20-minute meditation, someone walks in and... You know, your instinctual reaction is, don't you know what I'm doing here? <laughs> I mean, haven't you kind of defeated the purpose of the peace that you're seeking? So you have to kind of set your intention at the beginning to be okay with the possibility of interruption. And, it, and it, you can come back to this. this. It's not the end of the world. You're just trying to establish consistency.
0: Yeah. And for the record, uh, both Riley and I are family men. We have, how many kids do you have at home, Riley?
1: I have, well, I have. Six, most of the time. I have a 20 year old daughter who's, you know, sometimes she lives with us, and sometimes she doesn't. She's moving tomorrow to Hawaii, but most of the time I have six in the home.
0: Right. And I've got five out of nine at home still. So there's noise. Stuff happens. So we talked a little bit about breath work in the context of meditation. We talked about also just sitting still and how that can be a part of meditation or not a part of meditation. What about just breath work? I have a friend that taught me that meditation for him was just anytime you take a breath and your focus is on your breath, of course you breathe all the time. If you, if you stop breathing, there's cause for concern, right? But if, but if I just take a minute and I say, breathe in, breathe out. And I, and I was doing it intentionally and focusing on it. That's a meditation one breath. That's all it takes. Do it. And you'll notice the stillness in it. in that one breath
1: we talked about in previous episodes when I was with Shiloh this exact topic, and how important breathing is, the not only literal physical importance but symbolic importance, what it represents in in religious history and traditions there's a lot to this. We could spend an entire episode on breathing, its importance, its effects but I guess what I want to draw attention to is is kind of what you're talking about, is there's many way, there are many ways to experience the contemplative aspect of breathing beyond just sustaining your life. Obviously, thinking about how it sustains your life would be contemplative, but there's so many ways to augment the experience or just observe the experience in a different way with different um, intentionality up front. So, for instance from a a religious standpoint, you know, a Christian religious standpoint, or Hebrew, for instance, or Jewish. So the word for spirit is the same word for wind and for breathe. And you would know this better than I. You're the polyglot. But so, you know, having that connection between that is just kind of a natural expression of something that you can experience. The spirit coming in, I mean, and it actually is... Pointed out this way in scripture, when, when Jesus gave the spirit to his apostles initially, it wasn't on the day of Pentecost. It was, he breathed upon them. When God gives Adam the breath of life, you know, that's, that's his spirit, the breath of life. That's the exact, the actual phrase that's used in the temple, for instance. And so I think breathing in the connection with spirit is really important.
0: Yeah, you know, as, um, as I've studied a little bit of Hinduism, I've learned, and listeners have probably heard of the word prana. It's something if, if you practice yoga or even if you've discovered the, the clothing brand, which I love, great uh, climbing apparel, yoga apparel. You know, prana is a life force that we breathe. So, there, so there's the idea that you're not just breathing for O2, oxygen, right? You're actually breathing a life force. And I think that's what you're saying.
1: Exactly. Yeah, from a different religious standpoint, which I like you bringing that in. I appreciate that. One other thing I want to say about breath work is I, I mentioned augment. There's natural breathing, which you do without even thinking about it. It's unintentional. It's totally instinctual. And then there's intentional breathing where you try to augment the way that you breathe for a different effect. And one of the religious or excuse me, the meditative practices that I've incorporated into my own is, is tumor meditation. I first came upon this through Wim Hof and then I kind of branched off Wim Hof and went just strictly to the the Tumo practice from from Buddhism where they augment their breathing patterns and how strenuously they breathe in order to achieve some desired effect. And so I think there's a lot of ways that you can play with this idea of this practice of breath work to achieve different um, ends.
0: The last part of my own meditation meditation practice, again, starting with mindfulness, moving into meditation. Now the last part ends with manifesting. And again, manifesting is something that can be done as part of a meditation practice, or it can be done in and of itself, separately. Mindfulness, excuse me, manifesting to me means at the end of my meditation, before I finish it, right at the end, I take a moment and I imagine myself having already accomplished some goal some de- or some desired state, let's say there's a relationship that I'd like to heal or a book I'd like to write, I can take a minute and just envision myself having already done that. I can see myself with that person and with that relationship healed together, smiling, laughing, joyful. I can see myself opening the box from the publisher with the the book I wrote and sharing it with my family. That's how I end my meditation. And again, this is something I learned from Emily Fletcher.
1: We've mentioned in prior episodes that I'm kind of a jock. And from an athlete's perspective, when you visualize the end, and I'm not saying visualization is necessarily manifesting, but I think it's a form. When you visualize the end before it's happened, your effectiveness in accomplishing it increases substantially.
0: Absolutely, and that's the idea. This is the first creation, as uh, Stephen Covey put it. Everything, And it's just something that comes from, from our, our tradition, from our religious tradition, right? There's the first creation that's spiritual, that's intellectual, and then there's the second creation, which is the actual physical creation, the actual the one that actually brings you into action. So unfortunately... There is work to do besides just uh, visualizing. And this is maybe where this stands apart from the idea of the secret, which is a little bit controversial. On the face of it, it it may look like we're saying the same thing, but the difference is this is only the first creation. The second creation involves actually doing the
1: work. Yeah, I think you could just, if you wanted to break it down to a simpler way of understanding for people who have no idea what this is, you know, people... People put together a budget, for instance, of their home expenses and and income. It's sort of like preparing a budget for whatever it is you want to do. You're planning it out ahead of time. You're visualizing what it might take to accomplish this. And then you take the steps to help it play out the way that you envisioned. I don't think that's anything controversial, really. I think it's more a matter of just trying to increase the chance of being effective in whatever it is that our intention is leading us to.
0: Right. And again, since contemplation is about focus, I can tell you from my own experience, I've talked about this before in in the context of the secret, and that is that at one point in my life, I really wanted to have a sailboat, and I put a lot of focus into that. I thought about it constantly. I shopped online, or back then you had, um, I had to actually go collect pamphlets. So I went and looked at sailboats and I collected the pamphlets and I'd sit at home and look at them. And I'd think about budgeting comes into play, right? How am I going to do this? How am I going to get this? But it's focus, right? My focus was so intense. I just, and by the way, it may not have been good for me to get a sailboat. I'm not saying it wasn't, but you could imagine uh, something you'd like to pursue that might not actually be beneficial to you in the end. Fortunately for me, this didn't play out that way. I ended up buying a sailing school and having three sailboats. And that was because I had this intention and I had this focus. And that's that's another way of thinking about manifesting.
1: Yeah. I like that. Good.
0: So the last thing on the list here in terms of meditative practices is loving kindness. And and this isn't an exhaustive list again. This is just what we came up with as we talked before we hit record loving kindness. Didn't you say Riley that you'd put this maybe somewhere else?
1: Um, no, I mean, I like where it's at. What, what does it mean I'm, to you? Just, it's, it's about setting your attitude for me. What, what is going to be my orientation in the coming day, week, month, year, whatever, um, or moment? What is my orientation? It's towards, Mercy, love, kindness, forgiveness, that kind of stuff. So that's, that's kind of what it is for me. It's all about orientation.
0: And it fits here in meditative practices because this is something you sit still and do, right?
1: If you're setting, for instance, a compass, a direction, right? And you're aligning the needle of the compass with the direction you want to go. That's kind of what I, the, the way I would relate it.
0: Yeah, so for me, another aspect or possibility of loving kindness and this is what I learned from you know, in studying Buddhism, is the idea that I can just sit here wherever I am and I can feel love and kindness and I can express it without words and without even being present to the person that I'd like to express that loving kindness to and that that can be beneficial obviously to me but, but maybe even to them. Even if I don't say anything, even if I don't pick up the phone and call them, That I can just, people talk about things like this in terms of sending out good vibes, right? Good vibes. Good vibes only. I like it. Yeah. And so that's that's another practice. Now, prayer. You and Shiloh recorded an entire episode on prayer.
1: Yeah. We have another non exhaustive list of, I think I wrote down, I don't know, 25 or so different types of prayer that we kind of brainstormed on. And, Maybe the ones that you've got written down here, Christopher, are are more categorical. But they are, nevertheless. I think that there are so many forms of prayer. I mean, for instance, something that doesn't immediately come to mind, but may for Latter Day Saints is the song of prayer, a hymn, uh, or uh, you know, the song of praise being a hymn. Under uh, I'm not sure what the, how they how they say that, but the essentially that a song or a hymn is a form of a prayer.
0: Right. I agree. And and I've experienced that myself and I turn to favorite hymns in times when I want to. So for example, if I'm if I'm contemplating the vastness of creation, then there's a hymn for that. Right? I can turn to that hymn. What is the hymn? O oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder. I don't remember the title. Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. So what I want to do how great with thou art, right? how great thou art. That's it. Yeah, thanks. So what I want to do with with this section, since you already have a whole episode on this, we have one that you recorded with Shiloh. is just to say there are these three kinds of these three categories of prayer, and this is true in most religious traditions, and it's true in our tradition. You have canonical, you have supp- supplicative, or petitionary. Supplicative and petitionary being synonymous. And then you have the prayer of the heart. And so a canonical prayer just means a set prayer that's repeated. For many Christians, that's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not something that we use as a canonical prayer in our religious practice, in our tradition, but it is something that I use in my own spiritual practice, in my own contemplative practice. And that may be because of our background, right, Riley? I have a, a Lutheran background, you have a Catholic background, and that's something we brought with us. And I'm always looking for, I, I'm not only willing to keep anything I brought with me that's good, but I'm always looking for what can I find in other religious traditions. I believe in this idea of holy envy. You know, what if I were to pray five times a day is a question that, that occurs to me in that, in that context, Right. A, a, a form of prayer that we do have that's uh, canonical is the sacrament prayer.
1: Sacrament prayer. Right, sacrament yeah.
0: prayers. And then there's petitionary prayer, the supplicative prayer. So to bring in uh, an example from another tradition, in, in the Muslim tradition, you have five daily prayers. These are canonical prayers. There's a performance. It's, it's very physical, actually. In fact, it, without going into too much detail, it, it goes through, it takes the Muslim through all of the postures of all the different levels of creation on the hierarchy of being that, that God has created. And that's part of the experience. And it includes uh, reciting the the opening surah uh, of the Quran, which is the, called the opening, the Fatiha. And that's like a Lord's Prayer, because it's used every day in that way. But what what maybe people don't realize is that Muslims also pray the way Latter-day Saints do, and, and this is what I'm getting at. The, the supplicative prayer, the petitionary prayer, is the everyday prayer that you're probably most familiar with as a Latter-day Saint, which is, I have something to be grateful for, I have something to supplicate or to petition the Lord for, and I'm saying a prayer. Finally, you have the prayer of the heart. And the prayer of the heart, the idea of the prayer of the heart, is this idea that you can pray always. The idea of always being in an attitude of prayer, that you don't have to bow your head and close your eyes and fold your arms. And in fact, there are many ways to pray, and, and folding your arms and bowing your head and closing off may not even be the best way uh, to do it. Uh, oftentimes, supplication is made with, with folded hands or with, with outstretched arms and, and open hands, right? Right. So for me personally, in my contemplative practice, in my prayer prayer practice, I practice all kinds of prayer, and I and I practice different prayer postures. But the prayer of the heart is something that you can do in your car. You can do it while you're cooking. You can do it while you're doing the laundry. This is this is remembrance of God, and we we actually covenant in our in our sacrament um, experience to remember God, and that's that's what I think of as. The prayer of the heart is remembering God, having a constant remembrance of God. And this is something that has to be done intentionally because we forget. And that's why the Book of Mormon tells us over and over and over again, remember, remember, remember. Have you ever counted how many times the Book of Mormon says, remember, Riley? I haven't, I haven't counted have them. I haven't counted them, but it's a lot. And it reminds me of the, the idea from, again, from Islam, the, of dhikr, which is a remembrance, a reminder that the Qur'an, which is the Muslim scripture, is a reminder. Why? Because the human being forgets God and has to be reminded. The Arabic word for human being is literally forgetter, the one who forgets. It's the active, participa- uh, active participle forgetter.
1: Maybe uh, I, don't, I don't think most people are aware of your background with uh, study of Islam. W- give us just a 20 second.
0: Well, the long and short of it is I'm an Islamicist. I mentioned that in our first episode together. I'm an Islamist as an academic, I study Islam
1: and I love having that to contribute to the podcast because that it's a very rich cultural religious tradition that many in the West just don't put in any time into being familiar with, sometimes because of prejudice, sometimes because of just it's just not among us, especially. In the Latter-day Saint community, there's just we don't maybe see a need for that, but it's a very rich tradition that can really enhance at least the study of it could really enhance what we're trying to accomplish, right
0: Right and as an amateur, that's my academic work. As an amateur, I study all religions for the same reason uh, well not for the same reason I do my academic work, but for in terms of my own spiritual practice for for, whole, for the sake of holy envy for the sake of what I might learn that I might incorporate into my own spiritual practice, or what I might learn that might help me understand my own spiritual practice as it is, uh, better.
1: So we went through kind of these categorical explanations of the different types of prayers, and for people who want maybe more granular information on that, let's refer them to our episode 8 of Latter-day Contemplation on Prayer. And let's go on to the next, uh, next category of meditation of uh, contemplation, contemplative practices.
0: Yeah, so we called this visual and performing arts. And what we mean by arts, visual and performing. By visual arts, we mean painting, sculpting, um, and then you have as examples, right? That, that's not an exhaustive list by any means. By performing arts, we mean things like dancing and music. There's even, as Riley brought out in our discussion uh, when we were planning for this, culinary arts. There's a, my wife calls the, the kitchen her happy place. There's a form of, of being, you're a jock, you said, Riley. There's a form of being in the, in the, zone, in the zone that occurs zone. for people, right? Yeah. That occurs for people in different activities. And they can be, these are some examples of some of those activities that can be contemplative, that can help us to, to get away from our discursive way of thinking, by, by which I mean going from one thought to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. That's how our brain usually works. And by the way, it's doing it all the time, whether we want it to or not, whether we're, in, whether we're intending it or not. And so this is a way to break away from that.
1: And these aren't things that I think most people would look at and say, oh, that's contemplation but they can have an effect that is either very similar to a more explicitly contemplative practice or that some might, that are really in the flow state or zone, as you said, they might consider it just straight up contemplation. That's, that's the effect for them.
0: I'll share a couple of, uh, of examples from my own experience and practice. When living in Houston, I live in Bakersfield now, so I was in a world city, a large world city. Now I live A couple of hours from LA where I could go do this once in a while if it weren't for the present pandemic. But while living in Houston, every Thursday when it was free to Houstonians to go to the Museum of Fine Arts, I would go to the Museum of Fine Arts where I would go stand before the same paintings every time, paintings that I love, paintings that spoke to me in some way, and stand and look at them. I would contemplate them. I would look into them and think about them deeply.
1: Now you're highlighting the observational and I think maybe people were initially thinking of the creative side doing it themselves or participating in it but you're you're talking about being an an active observer. Right,
0: I don't have to know how to paint to do this, right? I can appre- I can appreciate painting and I can pre- appreciate art in the same way that I do nature. And some of the paintings I looked at were of nature. Others were well there was the windmills of Amsterdam by Van Gogh. That's architecture and I actually I tend to take pictures of, of architecture when I travel. I, tra- I like to travel and, and I, I like to take pictures and I take pictures of buildings more than I do of people or of other inanimate objects. I have many pictures of bicycles from all over Syria. And photography can be one too, because again, what am I doing? I'm and Photography is a, is a visual art, right? I'm focusing on something. I'm looking through that lens and I'm maybe shutting out all the other experiences that are possible and focusing on one. But what happens is in that focus, I become, it's paradoxical because I become one with all of them.
1: It's amazing to me, just listening to you speak how much metaphorical language you're using that relates directly to photography, but could apply to so many other things. Okay. You're talking about focus and lens and, you know, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, those are, those are, Photography related terms. That's right. Specifically.
0: That's right. And I wasn't thinking of photography when I was saying them. I was thinking of the activity as contemplation.
1: Yeah, but I think that helps people to relate how how it plays into it.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, there's there's actually doing art. You know, I'm not a painter. I do draw. Some people doodle. Doodle can be a form of contempl doodling can be a form of contemplation.
1: Yeah, I bought my daughters one of those, um, I can't even remember what they're called, but it's essentially a circular diorama that, you know, you you rotate this protractor type thing around in a circle and, and you draw multiple circles on top of circles, almost like a Venn diagram, and eventually you come up with some really cool pattern, you know.
0: You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Riley, because the purpose of a contemplative practice is to draw closer to God. That's what we're here talking about, right? To get to know God. And to get to know God, I have to get to know myself. I am created in God's image. I, am, I myself am accessible to myself if I'll stop and listen and, or stop and look. And we, can, we tend to be so busy that we don't unless we have an intention to. And that's, that's what we're talking about here, to have the intention to take up one of these practices, one or more, and to seek to get to know ourselves better. And when I, your, your daughter's activity reminded me of the drawings that Jung found that his patients, that Carl Jung, the psychologist Carl Jung found that his patients would do that were mandalas, that, that just come out of a, a doodling way of being, really, but that express something from deep within the psyche that he found across, across the board in all the cultures that he explored. And so I think that shows that 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 points us again inward.
1: So my brother is an artist, and he's got a very unique creative uh, process. The expression is something I don't recognize in other artists' work, and I've minored in art history, and I spent a lot of time studying paintings and whatnot. The way my brother creates and, and what the output is is something I don't see elsewhere. It's pretty abstract, but yet there seems to be something within it that comes from within him. And I like that you brought up that it becomes an outlet, and it also helps us relate to God. I was thinking of the phrase in the temple, and I think this is benign enough to share, but where he says, see yonder is matter unorganized. So first there's the observation. And then the next thing he says is, go ye down and form a world like the other worlds we've heretofore created. So there's the observational or the seeing, and then there's the creative and putting things together and basically being an artist. And I think the reason why most people, they look at this list, perhaps under the visual and performing arts category and say, how's that contemplative? How's that contemplation? Because the point of contemplation in general, the purpose is to draw us closer to God. Well, one way to do that is participating in the creative experience. Exactly. Observing and participating in it.
0: You know, I, I joke, I half joke with my kids every time I make my bed, well, anytime I do anything from making my bed to cleaning up the kitchen, that I'm expressing a form of godliness, right? Because I'm bringing order to chaos. I'm creating order out of chaos. So, and anything that I do that is creative is, as you've said, an expression of my God, godlike nature. And so yeah, the list you know the list goes on. We, we we jotted down a few things. I just wanted to share a couple from my own experience. Dancing—that's something else I've done. Um, like like med- like walking can be a form of meditation, and and that'll come up later.
1: I want to share one. You mentioned dancing that you used to spend a lot of time dancing, and you found that very contemplative or meditative for you. I uh, I mentioned to you in the same conversation that you know I, I play guitar. And I've never been one that could kind of freeform, just create music out of thin air. Obviously, I know how, um, like a one, four, five key of a pattern works, but being a little more jazzy with things, specifically speaking, I've, I've never been great about that. Just listening for a, a thread that can be expressed with my instrument until I was playing a show with some friends of mine and one of them was a very, Accomplished session drummer, and he basically told. Well, first the leader of the band was talking to someone else, and he said, "Go ahead and just, you know, noodle up there, guys. Go for it." And I'm like, "Well, what are we supposed to play?" And this drummer just says, "I'll set the beat. You just do what you're gonna do, and I'll I'll follow on, and and it'll make sense. Trust me." And having someone as talented as him sure helped that process. But I did get in that creative zone where. I might have had a template in mind, but for the most part, I was riffing off of it in a way that really helped me to express creativity instead of just regurgitating someone else's work. And that was a really cool experience for me.
0: And from someone who only plays music by pushing the play button, I can say I've had a similar experience as an, as an observer, right? When, when live music is being performed... And I've, been, and I've been present, I can think of a wedding in particular that was this backyard setting, a beautiful backyard wedding setting, and obviously not an LDS wedding. Um, in uh, another Christian tradition, in, in a backyard with a, a river, you know, we're in a space between, on the lawn between the river and the house, and the wedding is over, and we're sitting around, and the band, the jazz band, is improvising. And they get into a trance, and they just sort of play off each other, right? And before you know it, you as a listener are also in a trance. So they're they're participating in the in the way that you did, Riley, But I'm participating in it also as a listener. It's a, in a sense you sync up, and that's like storytelling. I don't know that storytelling made our list. Uh, you and I would agree that storytelling is another form of contemplation that maybe isn't anywhere on the list, maybe under writing. But it's the same thing when people tell stories. And when people listen to those stories, the storyteller and the listener sync up, and the listeners sync up with each other. It's the same idea.
1: Well, let's get into the next category. Yeah,
0: so writing, right? We've got writing. I just mentioned writing. One of the obvious ones, journaling. I have a journaling practice. Every day I get up, and the first thing I do after I, I meditate is journal. I start with morning pages. This is something from Julia Cameron. Morning pages means I just write down whatever is on my mind just to get it out. Whatever background noise is going on in my brain or what you might call the monkey mind and just get that out and get it down on paper where I can actually sort of, you know, trap it and look at it and focus on it, right?
1: Well, there's lots of studies that say as well that if you write something down, you remember it.
0: Yeah, that, that helps too. I, I find that I can write a reminder to myself and then throw away the paper. The act of writing it helps me to remember it. The next thing I do is um, use the template that asks me questions that I just answer. Uh, wh- how am I feeling? What are three things I'm grateful for? What are three things I could do to make uh, the day great? And in the evening, what are three things that that happened today, great things that happened today, amazing things that happened today. I got this idea from the 5-Minute Journal. There's an app for the iPhone. But you don't need an app. You just find out what the questions are. I, I just mentioned them, and you write about them every day.
1: That's, this is an area where I have not put in any, well, I shouldn't say any. I've got a journal, but um, I, I don't put in a consistent daily practice. So this is a way that I could enhance my own practice. I love it.
0: And then there's the idea you and I have both heard uh, mentioned by Jordan Peterson, the work of Pennebaker. I don't remember his first name. The idea of writing as a healing activity. And even writing memoir can be healing. Journaling is a form of the, the kind of journaling that, that Latter day Saints are most familiar with the idea of writing down, keeping a record, right, of your, of your yeah, life, personal
1: history, is,
0: is a form of, history, of memoir writing. And then there's life planning. There's the idea, anywhere from, from, from planning my day to planning my week to life planning, these activities are forms of contemplation. To stop, reflect, think about where I want to go, again, begin with the end in mind. This is a first creation, as was mentioned earlier, and to make a plan. Whether it be for the day, the week, or the, or the rest of my life.
1: What I love about contemplation is it has so many possible benefits. And you've just brought up another one that I think is important to kind of tease out and highlight. And, and that is that it can actually help you be a more effective person. And the only judge of whether you're effective or not is, is yourself. If you want to do what you do more effectively, one way to do that is plan out through writing what you want to do, who you want to be, what you want to accomplish.
0: So then there's, there's physical activity. We talked about physical activity. You're a jock. I'm not so much of a jock, but you know, when it comes to physical activity, there are sports, and I, I remember you saying sports makes you think of competition, and that doesn't feel com- uh, contemplative. But when I said sports, when I think of physical activity, because I don't really play team sports, I thought of the kind of sports that I've practiced, one of them being chess, which most people don't even think of as a sport. Chess is a form of contemplative practice, right? It's a, it's a thoughtful, reflective, still sitting experience.
1: And you play chess every other week, right? You have a consistent game with yes. another friend of yours. That's
0: right. Every other week. And by the way, there, I t- because I'm busy, right? We're all busy. There are times when my friend texts me, hey, are we still on for today? I think, oh, I don't want to do that today. You know, I've, I've, I've got, I'm busy. I've got this or that going on. And I always do it because I like to keep my commitment to my commitments to my friends. And yoga worked the same way for me. Yoga is something that I never wanted to do, but I had a commitment to do it. I had somebody coming to pick me up, and so I, I went. Now I always, I was always glad I went, but somehow that never translated into I can't wait to go next time. But I, I like to keep my commitments, and I like the benefit that experience again of I'm glad I went, or I'm glad I took the time out to be with my friend, and to play chess. And then there's golf. Another one for me is golf. Golf for me is about walking and talking. I love golf. Me too.
1: (laughs) I I love golf. And I I do like walking a course. I also like riding a course. Either way for me is good. But for me, the focus of trying to direct this small ball down the middle of a fairway and eventually into a small hole. I mean, and it it's so pointless. Like, it, I guess it's not pointless, but it kind of is at the same time. What are you accomplishing? You're moving a ball from one place to another and putting it in a hole. That is it.
0: There's something you said earlier that fits in well here, and that is that if you would become frustrated when that little ball doesn't want to go where you want to go, you're, you're not being a good sport, and you're missing the point. You're playing golf. And that's
1: a big part of golf. Like yeah. Formal rules-based golf is all about governing your emotions.
0: Right. And so for me, again, the experience is about walking. I, I tend to walk the course. I'll bring a three, five, seven, nine and a putter, maybe a, a three wood and I'll carry my bag and I'll walk and I'll talk with a friend or I'll even do it alone. I've done it alone and be outside in nature. It, you know, it's 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 something like a uh, like a J- uh, Japanese Zen garden. Right. It's this it's this carefully constructed or created garden, but it's nature. And uh, and I just find it incredibly relaxing, as long as I don't get too upset when things don't go my way. Right? Again, you have the you have the opportunity to practice that kind of forbearance, just like when you're meditating at home, and and who knows what's going on at home.
1: Well, the other thing I love about it is you're sequestered for four hours if you're playing eighteen holes with a friend or a family member, and you get to discuss things for a long period of time where that's just not the norm anymore. We see the people we care about in short bursts of, hey, how's it going? Oh, good. How's the family? Blah, blah, blah. And, and it's just this very surface level. When you're out golfing, four hours with somebody.
0: So we, we don't it's necessarily cool. agree on the walking versus riding aspect of it, but we definitely agree on the, on the talking part of it, right?
1: I, don't, I, don't, I like to walk. Okay. I like to walk too. Yeah. yeah. I prefer to ride, but I like them both.
0: And there are other physical activities. I mentioned yoga. Yeah, there's hiking. I find hiking hiking just feeds my soul. I like to go I like to go into the woods or climb a mountain and just walk and as I remember last time I went on a hike with my kids, they we hit the trail and you know, we came out of the car talking and whatnot. We hit the trail and they were talking and I said, "Oh, no, 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 no. This is not what we're doing. We're going to listen." to the leaves and the branches under our feet. <laughs> we're, we're not going to, and, and of course you can walk and talk too, right? We just talked about golf, but there's this experience of being in nature and, and being fully immersed in, the, in all the, the sensory experiences of nature that I look for on a hike. And I found myself many times, you know, uh, I feel compelled to pray in the woods, not because Joseph Smith did, but because being in the woods itself brings me to my knees. Again, I feel close to God. I'm in God's creation. I'm in nature. And for me, that's a, a form of contemplative practice.
1: And I, I'm the same way. I love being in nature. I love going on walks in the woods. I live in the country. And so I have all these trails by me. I can walk out my front door and within 100 steps, I'm pretty much back to nature. There's these dirt hills just over by my house. And I'm overlooking Deer Creek Reservoir. And I've got Mount Timpanogos out my, out my front View right there, and so I, I love that aspect of being in nature, observing, but also participating in nature. Love mountain biking. I I'm out swimming in the lakes all the time. So I'm with you. I love being in it and feeling it and getting that almost sensory overload. It's a good reset for me. I just I can't get enough.
0: And sometimes being around or on the water, that's another aspect of nature. Yeah, I'm a sailor too. I like to sail. Um, i like to, I like to go to the beach. I like to walk around lakes there's something about water the, the peaceful stillness that, that that a lake can have in certain traditions you know you have the idea of mind like water that's what it means right that you throw a rock into it and it quickly returns to stasis now of course there's also the uh those experiences I've had where you were in some sense in a struggle against nature. I can remember a night sailing from, it was either Port Aransas or Port Arthur to the Galveston Yacht Basin, coastal cruising. There were seven to 10 foot seas, 25 to 30 knot winds. And I was a novice sailor. I had a more experienced sailor with me, but we had to take terms at the helm and sleeping as we sailed overnight. And I remember Ralph was his name. Ralph came above decks and said to me, he saw me just struggling with, you know, as you as you're rotating on all axes and trying to and trying not to get seasick, which again is a mental focus game. A lot like you mentioned in sports. Well, this is a sport, right? Sailing is a sport. You sort of I don't know how to explain it, but you I was doing all this work to keep us on on course, moving the wheel back and forth as the boat heave to and fro, and he says, oh no, you don't have to do that. That's too much work. And so it became this experience of, of this Tao-like experience is what he taught me of just sort of moving a little bit and then back again, just a little bit and then back again. It's, it's hard to explain, but you just, it's this power of doing without doing that you, that you read about in, in, um, in works like the Tao De Jing,
1: Using the power of the element to help propel you or getting getting in the flow of whatever was happening
0: right instead of fighting it that's exactly right that's it yeah so then there's reading reading is a big one for me you know um there's a whole list of of course there's reading scripture and again i know that you and uh, shiloh recorded an entire episode on lectio divina of this idea i
1: think we did i think we've I'm not sure if we've done a whole episode on it. I oh. think what we've done is just discussed it in a lot of different episodes okay. <laughs> because it's important to okay, me. So it's come up. Well, um, yeah, I mean, just just briefly, Lectio Divina is a, a practice of literally divine reading. You grab your scriptures and, and really Lectio Divina can be applied to anything. But the specific process that was developed in the Catholic tradition that I've adopted myself in my own practice is to read scriptures. And when I'm doing so, it's usually a short passage, or it's a a categorical passage. it's related to some category of thought that I'm studying or wanting to delve into, and once I read, then I, I come up with kind of the main idea I want to wrap my mind around and get my spirit wrapped around as well, and so then I'll meditate on whatever it is that came out of that reading for me, and then following that, I'll pray about it so that I can involve God in the process and and feel the the Holy Spirit's influence on that same topic that I'm studying, and then lastly is the contemplative side of it, which is just to sit with the ideas, sit with all the feelings, and then go about my regular day, but having it always in the back of my mind. And then the very last step, of course, is taking whatever it is I've learned and incorporating it into my life, whether internally or Uh, externally, in form of service, or whatever. But that's that's kind of the Lectio Divina process for me.
0: Another practice that I've incorporated into my own contemplative practice, spiritual practice, is reading set prayers. Set prayers are not something, other than the canonical prayers we mentioned, that that we tend to do as Latter-day Saints, but I remember picking up a beautiful illuminated book of prayers written by Marianne Williamson. The book was beautiful. The prayers were beautiful. I sat at home alone, and I read these prayers out loud. I, I prayed them. I shouldn't just say I read them. I prayed them, and I, I prayed these prayers that I read out of this book. And I sat alone and read these prayers and prayed them, and it was a deeply spiritual experience. It was it was it was something really powerful. Uh, so that's something that's something else. I don't know if you ever did anything like that, Riley.
1: Well, as far as set prayers go, kind of those canonical prayers that you mentioned before i've I've practiced a few of those, obviously, the Lord's Prayer was one that came out of my Catholic background, but I also adopted the Jesus Prayer from the orthodox tradition, and they they tend to repeat it over and over and over and sometimes throughout a whole day and just to kind of orient their mind and keep them focused on the savior and I've done that several times as well, and it's it's been really beneficial, but no i I agree i I have, and this wasn't a, a case of reading. These are short prayers, but I've also, in my grandpa's basement, he's got, he's a, he's still a practicing Catholic. He's got books and books of Catholic prayers. And these are, again, these are set prayers, sometimes in poetic format, sometimes they're not, but they are organized around topics. So it might be a prayer of mercy or a prayer of grace or prayer of faith or whatever. And you can go through and and read these and and pray them, as you're talking about uh, with Marianne Williamson, same type of idea.
0: Yeah. So another practice that is as maybe as foreign sometimes or intimidating sometimes as can be meditation, it's not foreign in the sense that you've never heard of it. It's just something that, oh, I've tried that. I didn't, you know, I couldn't do it right. And there really is no wrong way to do it. Um, But poetry, poetry is something that some people find intimidating or they're not interested in it. Oh, that's not for me. That's too, whatever, whether it be meditation or poetry. I've seen people react to both in the same way. And I myself wasn't as interested in poetry as I have become. But reading poetry can be a form of contemplation too. And reading novels, even reading novels, it's a documented, You know, it's, it's something that people have published studies on this, that you become more empathetic when you read novels. And I don't read a lot of novels. Um, I I was saying to you, Riley, that maybe I should read more novels. But I do read poetry, and I enjoy memorizing poetry too. Whether it be memorizing hymns or memorizing poetry or memorizing prayers, that's something that I can always have with me. Even if I were to be uh, imprisoned and everything was taken from me, I'd have whatever I've memorized with me, and that can be powerful. And I can have, of course, through meditation, experience of just being with myself, too. That helps.
1: Talk a little bit about the—oh, uh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, talk a little bit about the tradition of storytelling, maybe just verbally, without, without the writing aspect of it, and how that can sync up both the listener and the teller.
0: Yeah, there's something powerful about oral storytelling. So I, I spent a, a few months in Damascus, and there's a storyteller, and has been— for I don't know how long. I mean, I'm talking decades um, in the same place, every day, telling stories. Now, I actually didn't get to experience it because, uh, ironically, he wasn't there when I went. There's this idea of having someone just telling stories. In Spain, they, there's someone always reading Don Quixote out loud, 24-7, 365, year after year. It's something you can volunteer to do, I think. There's something, there's something about stories, you know. That a lot of the stories, there's the idea of myth, right? Myth is just a fancy word for story. It's from Greek "mythos," Uh, and a lot of the, a lot of the stories that we, that we tell, some of them are religious, right? But a lot of them, almost all of them, I think all of them, give us a sense of identity and meaning and purpose, and that's, that's their purpose, and and their stories that we share, and so sharing stories too, just telling stories. Sitting around a campfire, we've all had that experience. It's a lot like that experience of syncing up that we talked about between musicians. If you just sit around a story and start telling, uh, sorry, sit around a fire and start telling stories, you'll get the same kind of experience.
1: Well, there's this effect that stories have, and I think it's most obvious in children, and you see it play out. Children bouncing off the walls. If you leave them to their own devices, you know, and don't give them any direction or anything like, it's like bang, 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 bang. They're bouncing all over the place. And especially in the winter, oh my gosh, it's snowing outside, it's cold, they don't want to go outside, so it's just like bouncing off walls. But there's this lady at our library, they all call her Miss Sally. And Miss Sally will sit the kids in a circle and read a story, and they love Miss Sally. She tells the best stories. Sometimes they're her stories, sometimes she reads them, but in any case, it brings the kids into rapture, and they're just like, wow, I'm focused. I'm not going to say a word because I don't want to miss a single beat of this story. And so I think that. You can extrapolate from that the effect that storytelling has on humans as a whole. It, it it brings you into focus. It blocks the outside world, and all of a sudden, you join the world of fantasy and magic and you know imagination, and it's it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So moving on to another category, we have the experience of nature. Now we've talked about hiking, we've talked about golf. All I really want to say here, Riley, is just that there's sunrises, there's sunsets, there's water we've already talked about, there's being in the woods, there's the mountains, and some of, this, some of these things have already come up, but there's something, there's something about nature you can't find indoors. There's Indoors, you're in a man-made environment. Outdoors, in nature, you're in a God-made environment, and I always feel closest to God, in a natural environment closer than I ever have in, in a uh, man-made environment. Although I know you've, you've had the same experience. There are beautiful spaces created by man. And I think unfortunately we've gotten away from, I know you and I've both studied some art history, you more than I, but I'm an aficionado myself and we've traveled and we've seen some of these beautiful spaces that we don't, create these kind of spaces anymore except maybe in the lds tradition in the temple and not and not always in every case in my in my opinion and according to my aesthetic experience or sensibility but there are some beautiful buildings i can think of great you know great mosques that i've visited or cathedrals and i know you've had this uh, similar experiences
1: when i was 14 years old i, I, I spent a summer in germany just visiting family. And we went and visited Cologne, the Cologne Cathedral, if you're saying in English. That absolutely blew me away. First of all, this cathedral took 800 years to build, so it was no joke. This thing was ornate and massive, and it blew me away. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. It was a total shock. And then to follow that on years later with, you know, visits to other cathedrals, St. Peter's Basilica, that kind of thing, they're There certainly is something about creating beautiful spaces that engenders this contemplative mindset, but I'm with you. When I get out in nature and I see God's cathedral, I'm just like, there's no comparison. There is no comparison. A a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset, being under the cathedral of a mountain, there's, I feel like I'm experiencing the creative spark in the moment that i'm sitting there and i absolutely love it i think at some point chris we'll probably end up doing a full episode on contemplation in nature so maybe maybe we can move on from this one but i i agree wholeheartedly
0: yeah just one last thing to say about that for me and that's that it takes again intentionality if you're going to see the sunrise you have to get up early if you're going to watch the sunset you have to pause you have to stop long enough and wait right same with the sunrise So there's that that intentionality and that focus that it takes, and that's what makes it a contemplative practice.
1: Well, and I saw one other thing too is just submitting to that, right? Because as humans, we tend to want to manipulate things all the time, and submitting to nature is a practice that helps you really get flooded with it, be a part of it.
0: Yeah, and I think the idea of those the the architecture that we've been talking about those beautiful buildings is that. You are in awe. We use the word. We overuse the word "awesome," but you're truly in awe in some of these places. And again, that's a form of submission that is brought brought upon you by the by the immensity sometimes of the architecture. So, last on our list, we have religious practices. These, of course, are contemplative too. We have ritual. We have service. We have community. Again, scripture. We've talked about scripture story or scripture telling. And storytelling, there's scripture stories too, right? Singing hymns, but let's just focus in a little bit on on a couple of these that, at least one, we we do think that service is part of what we call pure religion, right? But do we think of service as a religious practice? I think we should, and it's definitely it can definitely be a contemplative practice because the idea is you're getting, in some sense, outside yourself. There's the intentionality, there's the submission there's the getting outside of yourself, and there's the becoming one with others.
1: Yeah, it's putting aside our ego and mourning with those who mourn or comforting those who stand in need of comfort. It's, uh, it's experiencing the baptismal covenant rather than just making a covenant.
0: And so the only other thing I would say about the religious practices that I've listed is that all of them can be contemplative if they're done with with that kind of intention, right? And as I mentioned in a in a past episode, it, it does say in the scriptures that if we don't have, if our heart's not in our prayer, if it's not done with in, with intention, then not only is it not effective, not only is it not beneficial, but it's it actually counts against us.
1: Mm-hmm. It's counted us as evil. Yeah. Yes. Well, this has been fun. I, there's there's so many ways that I think we can get into this contemplative mindset. And I hope what we've been able to do here is kind of open people's minds to the possibilities. And I would encourage people to reach out to us with what works for them. We're we're constantly learning too. As we say in every episode, we're not gurus. We're not here to teach or instruct necessarily. We're here to learn alongside and to experience these things with you. And to so share. We hope that Yeah, exactly, to share our experience. And we hope you'll do the same with us. So please, please reach out to us. Uh, leave reviews or comments on the podcast links or, or wherever you're getting your podcast material on our Facebook page at Latter-day Peace Studies. Um, any any way you want to try to reach us, please, please do so. We'd love to hear back from you for show ideas or any other feedback. So, Christopher, do you have anything else that you want to add to this?
0: No, I don't.
1: Why don't we give it a close then, and and we'll let people sit with that and contemplate on some of these ideas, and we hope that it's been of value to you. It certainly has for me in discussing this with you, Christopher. So I thank you for your many great ideas.
0: Same here. You too, Riley.
1: Well, let's sign off. uh, For Latter-day Contemplation, I'm Riley Risto.
0: And I'm Christopher Hurtado.
1: Have a great week, everyone.